Father, we give you thanks. Your word is good. Your word works. We give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, this evening we know you have, you have prepared a blessing for us again. And we receive it with an open heart in the name of Jesus Christ. And therefore we declare, God has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I've been filled with the knowledge of his will. In our spiritual wisdom and understanding as a result of this. I'm walking in the manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. God is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. Amen. If you believe it, turn to your neighbor, tell the person, wisdom is your portion today in the name of Jesus. Say transformation to a higher level. That's your portion in the name of Jesus. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. So let's take our seats. Uh, Can we open our Bibles? Let's uh, continue today again on looking at the true grace encounter. The true grace encounter. I've added the word true for us to distinguish it from what people often think that grace is. There's one way people describe grace, which is not bad, it's not um, evil, but it's not complete. It's far short of the glory. They say grace is unmerited favor. That is half true. It's not totally correct. The Bible gives us a different impression of grace, far beyond that. What the Bible teaches is that grace is a power of God that is released into the lives of those who believe. It is unmerited in that it is not by your works. It's a gift of God. But it's not just as if something is just happening, we don't know what's going on. That's not what grace is. Grace means that God is releasing his power to bring out something in your life. That's one definition of grace. That is, I'm talking about true grace encounter. So let's get that one correct in that area. The second area where people have described grace wrongly, or like the other one I said, is not wrong, it's not bad, just not, not rich enough. The other one that's been described, which is very wrong, which is very unfortunate, is the one that people give the impression that grace is a cover-up for my iniquities. Grace is a cover. When my flesh is weak and I continue to walk in iniquity, grace means my salvation is guaranteed. That is a wrong definition of grace. When grace manifests, it instructs everybody, depart from iniquity. Why can grace say that? Grace can say it because the law may have come by Moses. The grace and truth realized through Jesus empowers people to walk above iniquity. I need to say it one more time. The grace that is realized through Jesus is the empowerment to walk above iniquity. So, a woman came, we discussed extensively last time, just want to review it briefly. A woman was caught in the act of adultery, and they brought her to Jesus. And Jesus said in simple terms, you were under the influence of the environmental force, the mystery of iniquity. It was there. It was not your fault. There was little you could do to overcome that. Now I, you have met me. Now, this is the word of grace. Remember, grace and truth we are realized through Jesus. 
that woman came that day and realized grace. And Jesus looked at her and said, go and sin no more. That was not counsel. That was not a word of advice. I hope you are getting my point. Yes, That's not what it was. That was not, look, oh, be careful. <laughs> the times are dangerous. Oh. If they catch you next time, I may not be there. Oh. And you see this man, Zacchaeus, he's, he's bloodthirsty. If he catches you, you are dead. Oh. So I'm just advising you, as a Jew to another Jew, as a sister in Moses, please, oh. that's not what he was saying. <laughs> he looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. He said to her, go and sin no more. That was not a word of advice. It was a word of empowerment. It was empowerment. I think a few years ago here, we picked a few Bible characters. And we said from their lives, we began to look at different ones. We looked at um, Moses. We learned from Ruth. We learned from Joseph, different people. And we said anything you find that, that, I remember what I said then. That the first 30 years of Jesus was fairly silent. You have his birth, and then you have an incident at the age of, um, something that occurred at the age of 12, and then nothing until he was 30, and he showed up for baptism. Why was the Bible silent on that? We said because everything that happened then, you can find elsewhere. You will find from Genesis down to Malachi. You will find the lives of all those people. Those are the things that Jesus lived in those first few years. What I'm going to say, we know that the way Jesus walked is the same thing that Ezekiel experienced. Do you get my point? When Jesus said to that woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was, it was what we read last time, that Ezekiel fell down under the overpowering, the overwhelming influence of the glory of God. He says, such was the likeness of the appearance of the glory of God. When I saw it, I fell. Then I heard a voice speaking to me. And that voice, what did he say? Son of man, go and sin no more. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, son of man, rise up to your feet that I may speak to you. And Ezekiel testified that when I heard that voice, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I said, grace is the empowerment to obey God that comes into your life. So when Jesus looked at that woman and said, go and sin no more, he wasn't counseling her, he was empowering her. That's what the Bible means when it says, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. That is the power, the energy, the ability to stand against the corrupt tide of the society is what is called grace. Tell those who preach the other one that they should come and learn what real grace is. Grace does not mean, you know, uh, these are things we have heard. Grace doesn't mean, look, 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 look. You know, I have a weakness for women. But don't worry, salvation is intact. Why? Grace. So once I'm saved, I can return to my iniquity, I'm always saved. Fat lie. If you don't repent, you are not saved. Because repentance is part of, salva- is part of faith. It's part of believing. If you are not a disciple, you are not saved. Last time I, I quoted it again. I, I, I was quoting the man of God. And he was telling us, no, that's something we all know, point out to us. He said, you don't have the right to call yourself a Christian unless you are a disciple. Why? It was in Antioch that the disciples were called Christians. Not those who attended the crusade. Are you getting my point? Not those who were fed. 5,000 that were fed. 
No. Even though you came that day when Peter made an altar call, that's not why you're a Christian. Is that you're a disciple. A disciple is somebody that is following someone. He's following his steps. The Lord puts a step here, he puts a step there. He learns the ways of the Lord. He takes the yoke of the Lord upon him by learning. That's a disciple. So what is true grace? True grace encounter. That's what we're looking at. True grace is that God's power is manifested. I like the one we preached last um, uh, Saturday here, the last meeting on this subject. I looked at it extensively. talked about grace again and again. We brought out different things about grace. Two broad areas. One, grace is the power of God to stand against the corrupting influence of the society. Grace is how we escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. Not by our own strength. And that's why he said to us in, the, in that book of Hebrews chapter 4, that we draw near to the throne of what? Grace. That we may do what? Obtain mercy and find grace to help. So grace is God's power that helps us in the time of need. And that time of need is not the time I'm broke. That time of need is not when I need a miracle. That time of need he was referring to is when I'm being tempted to doubt and disobey the word of God. The primary thing grace does for us is to keep us in line. What grace does primarily for us is to make sure that no matter what, we are obedient children. Are you getting my point here? That's the primary thing that grace does for us. To ensure that our lives are rid of iniquity. So that the more sin abounds, not in our lives, but in the environment, grace much more abounds. That's how I know you've heard me say this before. I used to wonder those days, if I went through, if I got caught at the age of 75, waited for a child for 25 years, and they say sacrifice him, will I agree? I used to wonder. I go agree that kind of thing. I've also came with it. I'm looking at you, you say, oh God, I know you are not sure. <laughs> I used to wonder. I used to wonder <laughs> that if I'm the one told not to pray for 30 days, won't I just wait it out and say, God, you understand? I will pray in my heart. I wonder. They line me up like they lined up Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Am I not going to bow when I smell the smoke? I used to wonder about those things. But you know, later on I realized that where that temptation abounds, grace will much more abound. Those men didn't stand because of their strength. They stood because of grace. My grace will also come. You know, I just came back from Lagos this morning. I've been preaching since Wednesday. Morning, afternoon, morning, that is, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening. So, finished yesterday evening, took the first flight out of Lagos this morning, I came back this morning. My host there, <laughs> a senior man who is sat, we're talking. So, just talking about, oh, he asked me a number of questions, so we're just talking about something. Is there something? He said, ah, hey. He said, if I'm the one that God says you should go to Medugri, I'm not sure I will go. And this is a man who does crusades in markets. Yes. But he said to me, he said, ha, man of God, if they tell me to go to Medugri, I'm not sure I will go. I said to him, I said, sir, if you have to go, the grace will come. Why you don't think you can go is that the grace hasn't come. Yes, sir. And the grace has not come because you have not been told to go. Yeah. <laughs> so relax. So Paul said everybody has 
a measure of the gift of Christ. You have grace according to that measure. You get the point here? So that's why I mean, I don't fear anymore. That's why I said, look, if I'm supposed to sacrifice Isaac, and God, you also call me out of all of the Chaldeans, of the, of Chaldee, or whatever, whatever it is. You call me out of all also. You deliver me many times. You make my name great too. You give me a lesser of Damascus and many men in my house. We'll have a lot of experiences together. You will visit me on your way to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how God was injecting grace into the life of this man. He didn't just wake up and say, who is the first to sacrifice for me? He didn't do that. He said, those who jump up when I call them, they are shallow. He said, when the word comes, so those who respond quickly. I preach it, you know, because one of the messages I, place I preach in Lagos, I, I know a lot of people were not very happy, but I said it was, my host was happy. That's what that mattered. The Lord was happy, my host was happy. I didn't care about any other person again. I said, this, I said we, we pastors would like, because more, at least, nothing less than 200 pastors there. I said, listen, you, we pastors would like to say, who we give right now? I said, most of people answer you, they are shallow. They regret the giving later. Because Jesus said, when you sow the word, those ones that are shallow respond quickly. They respond quickly. Most of them. The few who respond quickly, which appear quickly to you, yet they are deep. They've been responding their heart for years before you came. It's not that you're preaching of that day. The word has been sown. The word of generosity was in their heart before you came. What am I going to say? So God, God doesn't expect that. Who, who will sacrifice Isaac for me? Most will jump up immediately because they have been moved. When Isaac dies, they will mourn for 50 years. That's what happens. They give offering, I'll be asking, ah, the reward has not yet come. The time I start asking, well, pastor said within one week we'll be millionaires. <laughs> they have fainted. They've given up. They have gone weary. Reward is gone. And the Bible says we only receive a reward if we faint not. Yeah. Why did they faint? They were not, they, there was nothing deep inside them. And God knows all of these things. So that's what doesn't, doesn't come to somebody who has nothing and just say, eh, eh, who just go and sacrifice Isaac. So what he does is, first of all, he injects grace. That's what grace is. He injects grace. Grace is God's ability given to us to fulfill his assignment in our lives. So Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by my own strength. So that's the thing we talked about last time. Listen, what God wants to do is to pour grace so that he won't hear any excuses. He doesn't like excuses. Why doesn't like excuses is because he knows that the amount of grace he has available is more than the amount of excuse you have to offer. That's why I told Jeremiah, don't try me. You know the way we speak our Nigerian English? Don't try me at all. If I send you somewhere, you go there. Don't come and explain to me that the people are too powerful. They, are, they were looking too wicked. The amount of grace I have going with you is more than the amount of wickedness in their faces. That's why I was angry. When Israel saw tangibly you know, obstructions to taking the promised land. When they tangibly saw the obstructions to fulfillment of God's promise in their lives, and they turned their back, and God got angry. He said, these people conspired against me. God said, you are able to take the land. They said, we are not able. Why did he say so? Because he knew the amount of power he had available. That power is what we call grace. That power is what we call grace. That is what is called grace. 
So that's the last time. God wants to manifest that power. That's what I'm talking about today. And one thing I ended with last time, I need to just go over that because that is where we are going to continue from today. Let's read the scripture. I said we should open our Bible to the book of Psalms chapter 50. I want to read, start with that one today. Psalm 50. Let me start from verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. Now listen to this carefully, all right? Follow this. This is very, very important. I said something last time. We must understand what God is looking for. You must understand what God calls a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We must understand how to think from God's angle. That's what I want to explain today. We must understand that when, for example, when, you know, <laughs> somebody insulted God, I won't give you his words because his words are too dirty to use for our God. So I'll just summarize it. He said God thinks of himself a lot. He said this in, terrible, in a terrible way. But I won't bother give you the details. Of course, you know people who have sold themselves up to Satan and it doesn't bother me. You know why he made all such statements? The Lord confessed, I'm a jealous God. You know why somebody is a jealous husband? That's a negative expression. This woman is too jealous self. Every woman that greets her husband, she has come to stand. What are you looking for? Or what are you looking for? Do you understand? That's a jealous husband. A jealous wife. Then God now came and said, I am a jealous God. And he knew what he was saying. He chose the words carefully. He likened himself to a human husband that's jealous. And what he meant is that, listen, you are my wife. He told Israel. That's how it is. And I'm a jealous husband. That jealous God is not the thing he was trying to say. It is the husband thing he was trying to point out. I am a jealous, I, your God, am a jealous husband. That's what he was trying to explain. So if you serve another God, I mend you. Do you get what I'm to say? <laughs> and that's mend in Nigerian English, yo. I don't mean panel beating. Oh, no, it's also panel beating. <laughs> yeah, it's panel beating, actually. Or hammer you, drill you, putty you. You know, by the time we finish scraping with, with uh, sandpaper, put body filler on your body. You pain, eh? You will come out looking nice, but my God... He won't do it again. <laughs> the man said, listen, why does God think of himself like that all the time? You shall have no other God before me. I'm the only God you will have. Why can't you let us explore other gods? Why are you so insecure? Yeah, that's the kind of, I'm telling you. Why are you so insecure? If you know they are the real God, let's try other gods first. And then we'll find out that you're real and we'll be back, you know. Why are you so insecure? Come on. Lighten up, pal. Lighten up. <laughs> Do you get my point? This guy, and the, the fellow, you know, I, I, was, I read it, I just shook my head. I said, ignorance is a terrible thing. Because God kept on saying, I'm the only person you will save. You will worship me alone. You will bring me my sacrifice. You know what? He thinks, that fellow thinks that God is a fallen human being like himself. He doesn't understand that God is not like that. When the Bible says this, is the, if I have a book, one man um, used to be the director of uh, uh, Benson Daosa's um, Bible school. You know, Pastor Chris Devan gave it to me. The man gave it to Chris Devan, a lot of them, so he gave me two of them, one slim one and one fat one, all right? I, I've not read much of it, but my wife's not reading it now. But the man explained, okay, that it's all about love. And I knew that long ago, all right? But the man, he takes it one by one. He'll go through all the commandments to explain that this is purely all about love. 
I always understood that the Bible says that God is what? Love. So I understood anything that he says is out of love. That man didn't understand that. So he said God is talking about from himself. No. When I tell my son, don't talk to strangers, is he out of wickedness? Why would I tell him to go and explore strangers, you know? I mean, daddy, lighten up. I'll be back. Let me see whether they're really as wicked as you will think. When I say, don't talk to strangers, what am I talking about? Is it for my good or for his good? Is it for my good or for his good? Are you getting my point? It's love. When God said, you have no other God apart from me, you know what he's saying? Don't waste your time. There's no other one anyway. Every other one is vain. It's a waste of time. He said, there are gods I lie. That's what he said. So he just said, don't lie to yourself. Follow truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he was saying. Please, you'll see where I'm going in a moment. Anytime God asks for something from us, it is never so that he can gain anything. There's nothing he can gain. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That you exist alone is because he spoke. So if he wanted something, else, he would speak it again into existence. So no matter how it appears like he's talking around himself, it's because all the good you need in life is around himself. That's how God is. You see why I'm talking about this in a moment. So let's get, bear that in mind. When, when the Lord is speaking, he's always speaking for our good. When he says it's good to praise the Lord, what he means is, listen, you know, people say praise is the food of God. I don't like that expression because it gives me the impression that he gets hungry. And the Bible says that if he were hungry, self, he wouldn't tell you. So when he said praise God, it means praise is good for you. Yes, that's what it means. If he tells you to praise God, praise is good for you. You should praise him. You should lift your hands. It's for your own good. It's good you do it out of a sincere heart, but believe me, it's for your good. He said, oh, that you love hearkened unto me. He said, your righteousness, let me not mix it now. He said, he said, your righteousness will have been like a river and your well-being like the waves of the sea. If you had just paid attention to me, everything would have gone well for you. But he said, I will eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me explore first. Meanwhile, you have only one life. But then if you need exploring for 70 years, your whole life, like Apostle said just now, is useless. I heard you use the word useless when you were praying. Without him, we are useless. It's a very good prayer point. Lord, without you, I am useless. You know, sometimes we should use good words to describe the things. You say, I can do nothing without you. We don't get it. You say, Lord, without you, I am useless. You will wake up and say, ah, I must follow the Lord. I said, I can't do anything without you. Without you, I can't do nothing. I can't bear fruit. All of, <laughs> all of you be looking like Bible. But when you come and say, without the Lord, I am useless. Honestly, instantly you will believe. The Lord, bear it in mind, never asks for anything for himself. He can't. He doesn't have that. It's not in him. God is love. And if God is love... Love only gives. It's a perfect love. So anything he's doing is for the benefit of the other party. Including when he tells Israel, kill all the Amalekites. Said the whole world is better without them. That's it. That's just the way he is. Bear that in mind, all right? 
Now, you see why I said all of this in a moment. Let's get back to our reading. Verse 7, it says, Hear, O my people, I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices. And your burnt offerings are continually before me. He said, I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor milk goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of male goats? He said, what should you do? Instead of rushing to me the flesh of bulls, and drinking the blood of male goats, and bringing me fat naira offerings, and giving me Isaac's seed, and all those kind of sacrifices. He said, what do I really want? He said in verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. If you read the Amplified, uh, the New Living Translation, it says, make thanks, thankfulness your sacrifice to God. He said, and pay your vows to the Most High. Listen to verse 15. Now listen to verse 15 carefully. He said, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Now please, we must understand this properly. What was God saying here? Listen to this. God said, the sacrifices are complete. He said, I am not complaining, verse 8. He said, you offer them constantly. You kind of know the law concerning what to bring. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Now, I'm not asking for anything extra. He said, I do not want to take the bulls from your bands. I don't want the goats from your pens. If I needed animals, I knew where to find them. Most of the animals in this world belong to no human being, actually. Are you getting my point? So if God wanted a thousand goats, he knows where to find wild goats. If you wanted um, cows, you just go and get some bisons that are roaming in the wild in North America. That's enough. That's what he was trying to explain. He said, okay, why do I tell you, therefore, to bring sacrifices to me? That's the point he was trying to make. He said, the kind of sacrifice I want are not just things that are documented that you should bring like this, and you just bring them because it's a law. So what I really want is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He said, let it be a sacrifice. Now listen to this carefully. Let it be a sacrifice that you are giving because of a vow you made to the Lord. Now, this is what the vow was talking about. Now, verse 15 is actually squeezed into the preceding verses. It's part of it. What he was saying is that, listen, you guys are in trouble. You don't call me. You don't give me the opportunities to deliver you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. What happens is that you use your own schemes to try and deliver yourself out of trouble. Then you continue to offer sacrifices because it is prescribed. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, what do I really want? I want people who call upon me in the time of trouble. And then they rescue, I, I rescue them. Then they pay their vows. The vows the vows of thanksgiving. That when the Lord has done something for me, I will return to come and tell him thank you. Just like when Jacob was going out that day. Are you getting my point? And he said, Lord, when you bring me back, 10% of whatever you give to me, I will sacrifice to you here. And when he got back there, 
he took all his animals. If they were 10,000, he took a thousand and slaughtered them and burnt them and wasted them. And said, that is unto the Lord. That was a sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. That this man went out with nothing and he returned with plenty. This man went out with people hating him. He has come back despite the hatred, prosperous. This man went out and in the house of his uh, father, uh, his uncle, Laban, all right, he prospered, prospered so much that he was richer than Laban when he was departing. So when he returned, he said, this is, the, is proof that God has answered my prayers. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. God said, that is what I want. I want people that I flex my muscles in their lives. Say, call upon me in the time of trouble. Let me deliver you so you can honor me. That is what I want. Are you getting my point? I want that when you bring those sacrifices, is I want it to be the way Hannah came to the temple. You are getting my point. She came to the temple to offer sacrifices, not just because it was commanded, but because look at what the Lord has done in my life. That's what this, this that's what the scripture is saying. Look at what the Lord has done in my life. God said, that is what I want to hear. I want that sacrifice of thanksgiving. I want, now this, this is where we are going. I want you to see challenges in life and begin to celebrate that this is your opportunity for God to flex his muscles. That's where the message actually is going. That's where the message is going. That I want you to see opportunities and begin to rejoice. And begin to rejoice because you say, now, God has another, you know, I want to see challenges, I want to say. You see challenges and you begin to rejoice that now God has another opportunity to prove that he is God. And I'm going to stand here and watch him do it. Challenges come in life. They will continue to come. God likes them coming. The Lord likes them coming. Because when they don't come, we forget who he is. Can this the way a lot of parts of the world are very prosperous? They say, who is God? Why? Because of prosperity. Challenges in life, don't let them disturb you. That is what God, that is what God is looking for. To prove to people that he ain't dead yet. And he's never going to die. That when everything works smoothly, people forget that he's alive. They turn their nose, say, who is God? One day I watched one woman on TV. She said, he said, you know, I don't pray for money. When I need money, I go and work. I said, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's because, one, you have energy. Two, you have work available. Go to Iraq, don't pray for money. Go to Syria, don't pray for money. So I don't pray for money. Say, so when I need money, I go and work. I said, it's not your fault. I believe in being diligent. I don't believe in laziness. But please, there is a way you open your mouth and talk. You make it look as if you are the God of your life. God doesn't like it. He said, offer to me what? A sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what, he said, that's what I want. I don't want routine sacrifices. He said, have you given God his good? Give him his good. Otherwise, the is coming after us. You know, that kind of attitude. He said, let me do something for you so that you have cause to come and say, thank you. 
said, then when you are bringing the goat, it's not the goat I want. If I wanted the goat, I manufacture more goats. If I wanted the bull, I go into the bush, the cartoon on a thousand hills. Know what he meant by that? That you guys don't know are there. When Americans got to America, the cattle in North America did not have owners. I hope you know. Yes. What is today's United States was filled with cattle. Belonged to nobody. Belonged to nobody. They were just roaming. Bisons that look like cattle too. Just roaming. I read a book those days, the novel. And of course, they give you some facts. No, no, it wasn't a novel, it was just a book explaining, you know this um, uh, headsman Wahala that we have now? It was in the U.S. then. Don't, it's not just Nigeria. It was a problem at the time. In fact, if you, re- if you read this history of America, you, they said the man who invented the barbed wire was the one that stopped nomadic lifestyle in America. Because people started using barbed wires to demarcate large stretches of land. So the cowboys, you've seen films about cowboys. Yes, they really were like our Fulani headsmen. Moving from one place to the other. He said, those cowboys initially, their jobs were to just round up wild cattle. Just round up wild cattle. So he wanted to be, he wanted to have cattle. You just hired cowboys. You had money. They went into the wild. The cattle were there. It belonged to nobody. That's what God was referring to. The cattle on a thousand hills. That is, there were a thousand hills full of cattle that Israel did not know about. Because if I wanted to eat, I know where to roast my nama. I know where to find it. Why am I asking for the one inside your flock? Why did I give you commandments concerning those ones? I want cattle that's brought out because somebody is happy. I want a goat that was taken. Not because the Lord is hungry, but because somebody is grateful. I want somebody who sees challenges to rise up and say, this challenge, let me show you that my God is bigger than you. They say run. They say, I will not run. If I were to run, I would say my God is weak. So I'm going to stand and face you to prove that my God is able. And I buy a goat and keep. So I will sacrifice that one when we are done. <laughs> so even though God has a cattle on a thousand hills, he prefers that goat because that goat speaks. I don't know whether you're getting my point. When I sacrifice it, it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what the Lord was saying. He was saying just picking an animal and killing is not what I'm really interested in. That's not really, that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm really interested in is a heart that has seen the power of God manifested. He said, but my people, no. They have too many alternatives. So they deprive me of that joy every day said, hear, O Israel, that is the quarrel I have with you. We're talking about true grace encounter. This is how Christians insult God. The way this country is right now, a man has to find a place where he can hide his head. Because another sacrifice denied me. The same fellow goes to church and is dancing. Said, Lord, here is my first fruit. And you know what God does? He said, that is his bribe. You are getting my point. That is his religious observance. There is no spirit in it. There is no spirit. He goes to church since he was young. They've taught him how to give offerings. One day one of my seniors said, 
Anytime I go to church, when the pastor finishes speaking and I've paid money, I go. Did you hear what I said? Oh, no, what is that? Not, not what I said, what he said. Did you hear that? He said, no, once they finish speaking and I've paid money, I leave. This man at that time was like, um, he was in the Navy, but I, don't, I can't remember naval ranks, but like a colonel in the army. I said, oh, God, it's not payment, it's called offering. You know, he said it, you know, just passively, just, we're just talking that day. He said, no, once the pastor finishes speaking and I paid money, I leave. So he never hears any announcement. He said, I have come today, you have encouraged me. Here is your check. Here's your payment. I pay you, I go. <laughs> that's how some people give. And that's like, the Lord is not excited. I mean, the church leaders may be happy. The man gives plenty, but the Lord is not happy. Because God said, look at his heart. What does he trust for health? He has a lot of money. He can pay any doctor. And that gives him confidence. He doesn't talk to me about health matters. He doesn't recognize me as the Lord, his doctor. I was going to say Jehovah Rapha. Let's speak the language we speak. The Lord, your doctor. God doesn't speak Hebrew. One man said that the day of creation, they spoke Hebrew. I said, shut up. Were you there? <laughs> that when, when, he, when God was creating, it was Hebrew was speaking. I said, the angels must be Jews. <laughs> who was there to listen? It was Abraham there listening. I forgot that thing. They just were now preaching. The Lord is good. Now, I'm just going to emphasize something here. So I just I deliberately just left that word, Jehovah Rapha, out. Because when we hear Jehovah Rapha, we have the impression that we meet him in church, but we meet the doctor in hospital. Are you getting my point? Uh, yeah. But God is the doctor. I heard people do understand Hebrew and Greek explain it. That what he said literally is that, I am the Lord, your doctor. Because they don't recognize me as that. They don't. They don't recognize me as that. They want prosperity. They know where to look for it. But they have this, you know, I think it was Isaiah that said, he said, the, the, the fear they have for me is tradition learned by roots, things they memorized. No revelation, they just memorized it. So they do it dutifully, but I can see their hearts, there is nothing coming out of it in reality towards me. So they go to church for 20 years, I don't recognize it for one second. What do I want? Let's go back to where we're reading before, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Lord said, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. What he was talking about is that when a man is in trouble and he said, the Lord will deliver me and he cries to God in the time of trouble, God rescues him. He now goes to go just like Hannah did. Remember Hannah? Yes. Now went and paid her vows. What the Lord was talking about, you know, sometimes we now think, you will vow to God, no. What the Lord was saying is, don't ever forget his emphasis. His emphasis was on recognition of the fact that he's the one that delivers in the time of trouble. So when somebody really understands that, and he comes at the end and says, Lord, this is what I have brought to say thank you. After all, God doesn't eat the animal. No. Two things happen, one or two. In the time of Jacob, everything was burnt. It was a whole burnt offering. What do they call a whole burnt offering? Everything is burnt. 
You slaughtered, I know, imagine. I, don't, I, I can't remember the number of amount of um, animals Jacob had when he was returning. Just, just, okay, let's just assume 20,000. Imagine the day of Thanksgiving. 2,000 animals to be slaughtered. He slaughtered 2,000. The boys had work to do that day. He picked them at random. They were not the weak ones. They were not the sick ones. He just picked them at random. And they began to slaughter. And made a heap of dead animals. And roasted them to pieces, to ashes. There was nobody to eat. If there were people to eat, they would have given. Because God allowed that. But in Jacob's case, who wants to eat it? Under the laws of Moses, he allowed the priest to eat it. God himself doesn't take it. That's the part I'm making. All that the Lord gets from it, physically speaking, is the smell of it. The Bible says it smells like, you know, it has a sweet-smelling savour. Trust me, that sweet smell is not good hair burning. It's a heart that is lifting the sacrifice that the Lord is perceiving the radiance from. You are getting my point? We're talking about grace. Grace is the reason why Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah stood against all the troubles in Babylon. It was grace. Grace, Paul now said, is why I am what I am. And he said, because of that, what will I do? I will boast in my weaknesses. That's what we ended last time. He said, for that reason, what do I do? I boast in my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. And God said, why is he strong? Because my strength is made perfect in his weakness. That is, Christians should rejoice when they are weak. That's why James said it, rejoice when you fall into diverse trials. Diverse temptations. At least when you, when the, like that time, things have stabilized a bit now in the nation. But that time that Naira was sliding every day against the dollar. You know, you are a witness. Most Christians grumbled just like the imam. They grumbled just like the unbelievers. They grumbled just like everybody else. Oh, I did not. I'm telling you the truth. God, you heard me that time I bragged there. God give me that grace. But what's God saying? That is the time they should have been rejoicing. That's the time they should have been getting ready. That's the time they should have known that something is about to happen. That's the time they should have said, God, now, thank you very much. Things have scattered. Now show your power. Show that you are God. That's the time that, listen, when trouble, oh God, I think we should read that story again. Okay, we have quoted First Corinthians chapter 15 now, but let's quickly just go down to the story of Asa again. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Let's go over the story again. I remember there was a time I told us, let's remember to read Bible stories. Read them regularly. The acts of God as recorded in the scriptures, read them regularly. Read them regularly. They remind you of what God does. Read these stories regularly. Look at what he said. Now, first of all, in chapter 15, we see the exploits of Asa. He had encouragement from the prophets. So he did a lot of things. His heart was strong. His heart was blameless. He worshipped the Lord seriously. He was dedicated fully to the Lord. And as a result, in verse 19 of chapter 15, 
And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. 35 years, this man was in peace. And how did peace come about? Listen to me. It was because he obeyed the Lord. It was because he followed the Lord his God fully. Peace reigned. Then a time came, trouble came. Now, I want to talk about that trouble. There were two things, or there are two things to look at, all right, there. One, the man became complacent. That's the problem. It's the danger of complacency. That's why Solomon said, the prosperity of a fool, you understand, destroys him. If you read my Bible, that's New American Standard, it says the complacency. Why did he say complacency? The literal Hebrew is prosperity. But New American Standard prefers the word complacency because he said it is not just the prosperity the Hebrew was talking about, but that the complacency that comes because of comfort. Are you getting my point? That when prosperity comes, it makes a man comfortable. When a man is comfortable, he becomes complacent. And that's why the Hebrew will say the prosperity of a fool. So New American Standard prefers to use the expression the complacency of fools destroys them. Now, what happened to Asa? He became complacent. One of the reasons why, <laughs> why some people don't pray, I mean, I mean as, in, as nations now, is because things work too well. God doesn't have the opportunity to heal too many people. Healthcare is too good. Doctors do all the job. When you fall sick, you don't have to remember anything. Just carry the phone and dial, if it's US, 911. The 911 person knows, will ask you whether it is a thief in your house or somebody has a heart attack. They know what to do. They, 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 they are called dispatchers. They quickly send the message out. Ambulance arrives at your door in minutes. So why pray when you can call 911? Think about it. <laughs> so people don't bother praying. But bros, if you don't have credit, there's no light. <laughs> That is, this is not switch off. At night, your neighbors traveled. The other neighbor has two ferocious dogs. And then there's trouble. Listen, first, even if there was light and you had credit, it's only your friends you can call. Which ambulance do we call in Nigeria? Maybe Lagosians are, you know, Lagosians are funny, I don't know, but in the, in the rest of the country, there's no ambulance to call. It's your neighbor, just call your neighbor. Rocket, are you there? The gate of the is open. Please come quickly. When he hears that kind of thing, he will run quickly. He becomes the ambulance man. <laughs> Why? He's your neighbor. But when you don't have anybody to call, believe me, many people have been healed. They were so healed, they didn't know they were sick. They woke up during the night. They felt one terrible pain in the stomach. Agabolish. Oh God. As they felt the stomach, they, they look, no light. Look, no friend. Look, phone, no credit. So they drop the phone, drop everything, and lie on their belly. In the name of Jesus, the Lord, my doctor, it is written. By the time they quote two scriptures, <laughs> even the devil will say, oh boy, this place is dangerous. <laughs> so let's go to America. That one, they will call, they will call <laughs> Honestly, by the time the fellow is, you know, has finished praying, Everything comes down, he or she doesn't remember. That's what it's called, what? Complacency. That is, I'm talking about the opposite now. Those who have everything to call, complacency takes hold of them. They don't even remember that God is a healer. Occasionally, listen to this. When we get into such situations, one, 
Or when God needs to move us to another level, but for us to move to, for, to new levels in life, we must recognize who he is. So you know what he does? He allows small trouble into our lives. Just to remind us to pray. Just to remind, remind us to obey that Psalm 50. Just to remind us to call upon him. Just to trigger the sacrifice of thanksgiving. He does that. So he allowed that to happen to Asa. The troubles in the life of a believer is not designed to destroy him, to destroy her. No. It's designed to lift us up. That's why he said all things work together for good. Listen, troubles will come to your life once in a while. Don't be afraid of it. When it comes, calm your head down and start praying. It's a trigger to pray. It's a trigger to recognize who God is. At the end of the day, what will come, it will be elevation to a new level. Listen, that is the law of God. I've given you the word of God. In fact, I finished preaching. Any other thing I say now, just to, you know, just to wedge it. Just to wedge it. I've finished preaching. What ruins people? Hmm? What ruins people is when they wrongly interpret and they wrongly respond to the challenges that come. That's the trouble. When they wrongly respond, they wrongly interpret, which is the reason why they wrongly respond, the challenges that have come. That is what the problem is. In Asa's situation, listen, a big king came against him. Let's read it so you can interpret it properly. It's in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. Remember, two kingdoms, the southern kingdom, Judah. Then Asa brought out silver. Ah, yeah, this is where the problem was. This was the problem. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. That's Syria. Who lived in Damascus. Listen to this. He sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad was interested in the money. So he listened to Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelmaim, and the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard of it, he seized fortifying Rema and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Rema and his timber, with which Basha had been building. And with them he fortified Giba and Mizpah. Now listen to me. He got results. True of us? His method got results. He sent to the Syrian king, the king of Aram, help me. He got results. He took something from the house of God. He took precious things from God's house and used to bribe a Gentile king. And he got results. Please bear it in mind, he got results. Results do not determine whether you have done what is right. You know my, uh, my 
opposition to this results doctrine is who has results to show that matters. No, it is who pleases the Lord that matters. We studied Psalm 119. And we said anytime we have trouble, we settle down and go through our life and check how it has been you know, conforming to God's word. If it's not conforming, we repent. If we can't say anything that we have done wrong, we give thanks and take it as a trial of our faith. That's how Christians respond. We don't worship results. We don't. As I got results, but the word of the Lord was provoked. So Hanani came, the prophet, in verse 7. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not obeyed Psalm 50. Are you seeing what I'm saying there? (laughs) And have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. They began to tell him of previous mighty challenges that the Lord delivered him from. He said, were not the Ethiopia and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? He said, yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Because he relied on the Lord, the Lord delivered them into his hand. Why? For the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the earth that he might... No, I need to read this in King James. I need to read King James. This is the sweetest. Read this one in King James. Ah. I love my New American Standard, but this one, you must, it must be read in King James. He said, For the eyes of the Lord run, move to and fro throughout the earth, that he might show himself strong on behalf of the person whose heart is perfect towards him. Now let's interpret that one in the modern English language. He said, that he might show himself strong on behalf of the fellow whose heart is completely his. I like that expression, show himself strong. Because, like we said, Psalm 50, that's what he wants. He wants to do what? Show himself strong. Every challenge is the Lord's opportunity to flex his muzzle. Last Saturday here, I saw Chuxi's son sitting down over there, flexing his muzzles. How old is he? Five-year-old, flexing his muzzles. As little as he is, the Lord has put that spirit of muscle flexing inside him. We men, we know we have all flexed our muscles. When we didn't have, we raised our ribs off as if we had the V chest. Now, rib. <clears throat> Listen to me, it is the spirit of God that you are copying. It, that's, that's how God is. He likes to flex. When He allowed them, Basha, to come, this is the interesting part. The Lord was not even interested in Basha, king of Israel. We'll see it in a moment. He was not. He, Basha was supposed to be the trigger, the, the, the bait for Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Read it. He said, look at what he said. Let's just go back there. Verse 7. Because you have relied on the king of Aram, and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Was he quarreling with the king of Aram? No. But the Lord knew where trouble would be later in life. I don't know whether you are getting my point. The Lord knew where trouble would be later in life. So he said, let us destroy it for you now. How do we just do it, destroy it for you? We trigger small trouble. 
So he told some spirits to go and incite Basha to come and attack Israel, uh, Judah. Then that would have started war. And then those ones who would have called on Ben-Hadad from Aram, that would have brought his immense army. So Israel and Aram would have gathered against Judah. And God would have said, don't worry, I'll deal with Israel later. Let's face Aram. And the mighty um, king um, army of Aram would have been destroyed if only Asa had relied on God. But you know what happened? He did not. He used human methods. Many people have run away from the place of destiny because of challenges. You know, you go to these our beautiful countries where people divorce their wives and husbands for every little thing. They don't know that they are, they are spoiling a good marriage later in life. I don't know whether I get my point. Yes. They married for three years. Irreconcilable difference. Because why not just reconcile the difference? Then in 30 years, you know, I will have taught you something from those experiences. That in 30 years, you'll be enjoying life. You think you're in heaven. Listen, challenges in life, God allows them so that later on in life, we will not have to meet big trouble. Right now, it gives you small trouble. You start shouting. I don't even like this country again. What hope does a young man have? What we don't realize is that we are taking the name of the Lord and placing it in a what? A vain thing. When we are placed on a vain thing, it works immediately. But the big trouble of tomorrow remains. And that's what the prophet was telling Asa in this particular situation. I'm talking about grace. I know what I'm talking about. Last time we ended explaining what grace is about. That's on the principle of grace that Paul, who was the least likely, say I was one on, as if untimely born. He said, yet I became the most effective of the apostles. Yet while I was being effective, it was not as if there was no trouble. There was a lot of trouble. He said, so I realized that whatever I am must be by the grace of God. Therefore, I will most gladly boast in my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, that is when I am strong. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Listen, weaknesses were given to us to allow God manifest his strength. So when we find weaknesses, what do we do? We rejoice. Paul said, therefore I will do what? I will boast in my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, that is when I am strong. That's what grace is about. Grace is God's power that he allows to flow into our lives. So that it will be demonstrable that he's the one that produced something in us. You know why we read um, Psalm 50? Because God is actually calling. And he's saying that I am displeased when people don't give me that opportunity. I send them challenges. I expose them to challenges. But instead of them to respond by trusting in me, and expecting the power of grace, they start running helter-skelter as if they don't have any power working on their behalf. When Christ is burst out in the north, my friend Pastor will say, there's a way he answers, he said, we are Christians, what are we supposed to do? Are we not supposed to pray? That's how he answers. He said, we are Christians now. Let us go and pray. 
But he let us go and call up the power of God. He said, that is the only thing we have. They said, let's buy bomb detectors. He said, when you will have finished detecting the bomb, what's the next thing you will do? He said, no, my brethren, we are Christians. They finished having one meeting those days. The following day, there was, there was a bomb blast in the police headquarters. So he told the pastors, he said, sure, I told you. The people you are looking to for protection, can you see what has happened to them? He said, what do we do? Let us turn to the Lord. So how do we know to turn to the Lord? Let us go and pray. When I am weak, then I am strong. Last time I was talking, I was telling you guys that one brother there was giving me testimonies of the deliverance of God when Boko Haram tried to infiltrate that axis. And the Lord had given them a word that those people will have nowhere to hide and that the ground will be too hot for them to step on. Two things that the Lord told them happened literally. Wherever they hid, something will happen, they will be exposed. And then the soldiers will put fire and the ground will be too hot (laughs) for them to stay there. So that the garrison commander testified that how we used to find out where they were hiding is mysterious. Why? Because the people said, (laughs) where else do we go to? That is what the Bible calls the sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. What am I trying to explain? Grace is released so that no matter the challenges around, Paul said, if God has given you a commission, you will be able to fulfill it. That's the message. That's the message. That there are no challenges big enough to stop you from fulfilling what God created you to fulfill. None. None. That if you say, okay, ah, I really want to do business. I want to do ministry. The problem now I have is capital. You have spoken wrongly. Lack of capital is an advantage. I don't know whether you hear what I said. Lack of capital is what? An advantage. It's not a problem. For the believer, it is not a problem. It's a place where grace will be manifested. Anytime you think of a problem, quickly rejoice. Be excited. Why? (laughs) When I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, his strength can now be made manifest and perfected in my life. So when I find a disadvantage, what do I do? I start rejoicing. Listen to me. I told you before, joy is not different from happiness. It's we Christians that manufacture that difference. That joy is from inside our heart. Happiness is what you get from outside. Believe me, brethren. The Bible depends on the translation you use. It chooses either joy or happiness. What I want to emphasize, when we say you consider it all joy, like James said, what it means that be happy when you see that you have a disadvantage. You are going for an interview, everybody knows somebody. Everybody knows somebody. What do you do? And then, okay, you don't know anybody. Then suddenly you say, what's happening? You say, ah, well, how far? You say, ah, the chairman of the panel is my uncle. Eh? Uh-huh. Turn around, you check, well, by the time you finish calculating it, they're about to employ four people. You are eight people or ten. Seven are powerfully loaded with support. And you are the least loaded with support. You know what the Bible says? Start smiling. Find it funny. Don't do like, the joy is in my heart. <laughs> joy is in my heart. No. Laugh. Say, why are you laughing? He said, do you know we are eight for here for this interview? Or ten. We are ten here for this interview. And that 
<laughs> they need four people. And everybody has a letter of recommendation of a highly placed person. And I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have one. I don't have one. They say, why are you laughing? Say, it's just so funny. <laughs> I don't have one. And you are happy. Oh, boy. This is how you know I'm a believer. I don't know whether you are getting my point here. You literally laugh. You literally go home and be, you'll find the whole thing funny. You'll be happy. How was the interview? Oh, boy. That interview, God was there. How do you know God was there? Who else would be there? For the kind of lack of support I had, God had to be there. And you say it and you laugh. Continue behaving like that. One day you literally, we have a testimony, you'll be looking for a way to share it. Are you getting my point here? If it doesn't mean I'll get that job, I'll always tell you. Not every job is your own. If you don't get that one, it is not because you don't know people. It's simply because it is not yours. That's why I said continue with that attitude. It's simply because it is not yours. If you knew enough people and, got, and you got it, listen. Last time I quoted A.W. Toza. Toza said if your planning and machination, your ingenuity have gotten you to where you are now. He said it's most probable that you are not where God wants you to be. That's what he said. That it's most probable that you are not where God wants you to be. Because when God is working, your own ability to plan is frustrated. Things will just start happening that you did not plan for. That is what is called grace. And my message today actually is for Christians to start expecting it. They, you need, and we need a new habit that expects grace. We need a new habit that rejoices when really we are weak. It's time for Christians to brag on the fact that they have business ideas, hmm? but they don't have money. That is, is it, how are you sure you, so, so, you succeed? So I've checked it. I have no support, humanly speaking, and I have no money. So that's how you are sure you will succeed. Yes, because when I'm weak, that is when I will, I will succeed. Because if I'm strong, things will, be, things will be bad. So let me, right now, ah, thank God. Say, so rejoice with me about what? You know that business plan, we have, we have everything ready. It's going to, I mean, in this, by the third phase of execution, we'll have, we need up to 16 million. So we are celebrating. Why are we celebrating? Because we've checked, we don't even have 5,000. They will look at you and say, oh boy, are you on drugs? Say, no, 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 no. Physical drugs, no. Spiritual drugs, yes. I'm high on something. In this life, you must smoke something. You know what I'm saying? You must drink something. You must smoke something. You can't just be walking around, around life anyhow like that. You must get drunk on what is what the issue is. And anyone who's drunk behaves like he's crazy. You know you are close to a breakthrough when you start rejoicing at your own deficiencies. And you're not putting it up. You literally feel it. You start laughing. Well, oh boy, I have discovered that except God helps us, we're not going anywhere. Say, Lord, thank you for putting us in a place where we have no choice but to trust in you. I like one thing, Pastor, what you said once. He said, when Paul said, we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. He said something very interesting. <laughs> he said, not having confidence in the flesh is not from teaching. <laughs> I don't know what I get the point. Not, not, not because somebody taught them don't have confidence in the flesh. He said, when flesh fails you, you will lose confidence in the flesh. 
That when, when you have failed trusting in flesh, your confidence will disappear. I, I don't know whether you are getting my point. That's another cause for rejoicing. Instead of us to not be shouting, eh, 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 people, they, they refuse to help me. With, no, with, 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 with everything I've done for them, they, they refuse to help me. No, flesh must disappoint somebody so that you can trust in God fully. God has placed a curse on people who trust in flesh anyway. Yeah, that's what curses are. Say, curse is the one who trusts in flesh. In man, thank you. When the arm of flesh is his trust, we say his man is cursed. And interesting, I say he will not see when good comes. At the time that God wants to release good, he's out of the place. Many people, their natural advantages have taken them away from where God wants them to be, from where God was going to manifest great power in their lives. That's my message today. Let me close. Expect grace to work for you. Start rejoicing in your weaknesses. And I have a prophetic word for you. Listen, many people listening to me, over the next few years, you will, you will, you will lie down at home and start laughing. You will start laughing. Why? Because God will have taken you to a place that as are today. Even though we are preaching about grace, you could not have imagined it. It's time for the Lord to flex his muscles. And he's saying, who will give me the opportunity? That's what he's saying. This is a commandment of the Lord. Start expecting great things. Talk like you are mad. I mean, why do you are too normal? And it's not good. I don't know what I get my point. Let's create a culture of madness. Your friends should get tired of your talk because you talk bigger than you really are. You, you should start losing friends. If all your unbeliever friends are still comfortable around you, you have a problem. They don't have a problem, you have a problem. So that's I, I like that guy's Christianity. You know? He's a reasonable person. Just know your destiny. They've shared your destiny. <laughs> I'm telling you. When unbelievers, they like you because you are very reasonable. Your financial planning is exactly like that of their own. You plan according to the same principles right from the same John Mason and Stephen Covey. Believe me, your destiny is on ice. Honestly, destiny holders are sitting on it. I'm telling you. And you are the one that placed it under their chair. Blessed are ye when unbelievers look at you and say, the problem I have with that guy is that he's very, very unreasonable. He, he has no plan. He behaves as if he doesn't know there is a future. When unbelievers, I'm not talking about Christians, so, when unbelievers are talking to you like that, or carnal Christians are talking about you like that, rejoice in the Lord. Listen to me, David did not plan to become a king. He was too content being a shepherd. You know why? Being a shepherd gave him time to sing and write psalms and be singing in the bush. That was why he became a king. It's not what you plan for that will come to you. I hope you're getting my point. No, no, no. no. That one I'm sure of. If if you are planning, planning, planning now, you can be sure that that one is not coming. The one that is coming is bigger than that. The one that is coming is better than that. The one that is coming, you cannot do it by yourself. Amen. The one that is coming, God will have to send help to you. Amen. I said help will come to you. 
Let me say one more time. Help will come to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's bow down his and give the Lord thanks. Say, Father, thank you for grace. Say, Lord, thank you for grace. Say, Lord, thank you for grace. Just give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Give the Lord thanks.